Well, are you glad His grace is sufficient for you this morning? Amen. What a wonderful, what a wonderful Savior. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Second Kings chapter six. Second Kings chapter six. Second Kings chapter six. And if you would please stand for the reading of God's word, if you're able to. Second Kings chapter six. Second Kings chapter six. We'll begin reading in verse eight. It says, the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall, my camp, uh, shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel went to the place which the man of God told him and, warred, and warned him of, and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore send he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open the eyes, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. <coughs> Look again there in verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, Open his eyes, that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. I'd like to preach a message that I've titled, Seeing It from God's Perspective. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We sure do need your presence. We need your power, and we thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy that you've shown to us already. We thank you, Lord, for the songs that have been sung, and Lord, the, even the, the theme and the thought that Brother Brian brought forth, Lord, so that we could see from birth to the resurrection, to the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help our hearts to be full when we think upon what you did, everything from birth to the cross and beyond, that we might have eternal life. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts and may we begin to see things from your perspective. And Lord, if there's someone here that is not saved, doesn't know Jesus Christ their Savior, Lord, as we pray each week, Lord, I pray that they might come and let us take a Bible and show them how to be saved. And Lord, that they would receive Jesus Christ their Savior. Lord, I don't ever want to just be in a habit of, of saying that. Lord, it's, it's from my heart that I want to see them get saved. And Lord, I pray now that you might increase, that I might decrease. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. May you be glorified for this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. 
As you read this in chapter 6 here, you're reading about during the time of when the kingdoms of Israel was divided. You have the northern kingdom, which was called Israel. You have the southern kingdom, which is called, uh, was, was called Judah. It was divided after uh, Solomon was king, and, and uh, because his son uh, would not uh, yield to the people, but uh, uh, he was going to put more, more work upon those, those people and everything, the, the kingdom was divided. And we find that Rehoboam, he took in, he took the biggest part of Israel and he set up his kingdom. And he was afraid of uh, them going back to Jerusalem and worshiping in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he was afraid that he would lose his kingdom, that they would go back there and begin to worship at Jerusalem like they were supposed to. So he built an altar and he put golden calves in Dan and Bethel. And he caused Israel to sin and to worship there instead of going and worshiping the Lord at Jerusalem. And he caused them to worship golden calves. And he took those of the baser sort that weren't even Levites and caused them to be the priest in those uh, places of worship. And so he caused Israel to sin greatly. And now we have uh, King Joram. He, is, he has come on the scene here. And, and uh, I said Rehoboam, well, I meant Jeroboam. But uh, he, he's on the scene, and, and now Joram, King Joram is the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. And now he has went in, and he has taken away the Baal worship that had taken place in, in the northern kingdom, and he's doing a little bit better than what, than what uh, uh, Jeroboam had done. And he's serving the Lord a little bit more, but he still hasn't removed those high places in Dan and Bethel, and he still hasn't taken down those golden calves. So he's not completely serving God. He's not really doing what he should be doing. But because Jehoram, the, the king of Israel, because of, of what he had done, God gave him a prophet by the name of Elisha. And Elisha is there and he is warning the king Joram of, the, of Syria coming in to attack them and to defeat them. And he is trying to warn King Joram to turn back to God and try to turn Israel the children of Israel, back to God and to serve the Lord as they should. Well, what's taking place here is that the king of Syria goes out and, and Ben-Hadad is his name. Ben-Hadad goes out and he sets up a trap, uh, uh, an ambush you might say, knowing that, the king, that King Joram and his men are going to come through there and he's going to attack them and capture them. Well, the Lord speaks to Elisha and reveals this trap in a dream or however he reveals it to Elisha. And he goes and sends to, to the king of Israel, Jehoram. He says, don't go by this place because of the king of Syria is waiting for you and he's going to capture you. Well, he sends some men to check it out and sure enough, there's a trap laid. So he avoids it. Again, it happens again. It says not once nor twice, but it happens several times. And Elisha each time sent word unto the king not to go that way because of the king of Syria that was going to try to capture him. Now you find the king of Syria is upset about it. He don't know, he's, he's upset. He said, there's got to be somebody that's, that's messing with us or somebody in our group that's telling what's going on. 
You see what God did here? He gave the, he gave the message to Elisha. Even though King Joram was not doing what he ought to be doing, he was doing a little bit, and God was trying to get him to come back to him. And boy, I'll tell you what, it's the grace of God that God didn't even, didn't even uh, uh, disregard and let him go into captivity and, and even let Israel be canceled out there. Hey, listen, it's the grace of God. When you and I sin, it's the grace of God. It's the mercies of God. It's the, it is actually the, the long-suffering of the Lord that doesn't bring judgment upon you and me. In fact, in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we have Ben Hadad there that God's being long-suffering unto Israel and He's protecting them through the word of Elisha. Ben Hadad, he said, Listen, we've got a traitor here somewhere that's telling the king what's going on. If you look at it there, Ben Hadad, as he looks at it there in verse 11 and 12, he says, Therefore the, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me uh, which of us is for the king of Israel? Who's the traitor? Who's telling him? Somebody's got to be telling him. And there was somebody telling him. But it was Elisha who was being told by God. You look at the next verse and it says, And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the, telleth the, king, or telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest. No, it says, In thy bedchamber. When you can get it just as away as from everybody, king, and, and you're even in your bedchamber when nobody else is around and you speak the words, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Elisha the prophet is telling your words. God is telling Elisha what you're planning it, and he's telling the king of Israel. So he gets upset about that. He says, we're going to find that guy. We're going to bring him in. You see, Elisha was the man of God standing with the voice of God to the people of God in a day when they needed to hear from God. Could I say today that we're a people of God, that we need living in a time when we need to hear the voice of God, and we need, we're in a need of God's hand in our country and our lives? The fact is, is that no matter how bad the day may get, the, the Lord has established a way for His people to hear from Him. Whether it be through the Bible or through preaching of His Word or through the Holy Spirit of God, God has established a way to speak to us. And He wants to speak to us. I fear today, though, that many people are not listening. I fear today that many people are not watching. I fear today that a lot of people are not uh, allowing God to speak to them. So Ben-Hadad says, go find him and bring him to me. Look in verse 13, 14. He says, and he said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent, the, thither ho- he, therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. You know, I've thought about that. He said, Go spy out. Find out where he's at. And that, that terminology there is, Go secretly. Find out where he's at so that we can sneak up on him. Didn't work with the king, did it? And I believe, and it doesn't say this, but I believe Elisha knew he was there. I believe he knew that he was sending a bunch of people there. I think he already realized, God had already told him, hey, listen, there's going to be a bunch of these guys show up tomorrow. Just want you to know that, and, and uh, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it later. And so we find that he goes along, and, as, uh, and he, he, sends, uh, he sends his men to catch 
Elisha. I want you to look at this this morning. I want you to understand a few things, and we're going to look at this about the perspective, looking at things from the perspective of God. First of all, as long as you live for God, you're going to have enemies. I don't care who you are. As long as you live for God, you're going to have enemies. You say, well, well preacher, I, I don't know that I've got any enemies. Oh, you've got a great enemy. His name is Satan. But as long as you live for God, you're going to have enemies. And whether it, Not just Satan, but there's going to be others who do not want to hear you speak about the Lord. There's those who do not want us to stand for the Lord. There's those who do not want us to preach the Word of God. There are those who do not want us to have churches. Where, there are those who do not want us to proclaim the gospel. There are those, hey, there's the enemies of God. And if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior this morning, you have enemies. Look in verse 8, it says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel. They were continually warring against them. You need to realize that Satan is your enemy, but also realize that as you live for God, you're the enemy of Satan. You wonder why Satan is picking on you. You wonder why it seems like you're in a spiritual battle. You wonder why it seems like there's things trying to oppress you. You wonder why there's some strange things happened. You wonder why it seems like things don't go smooth. Do you realize that, yes, Satan is your enemy, but do you realize that you as a Christian living for God, you're an enemy of Satan? You yourself. And that means that there's going to be a battle. That means there's going to be a clash. When you have two that are, are battling one another, when you have two that, that are enemies, there's going to come a conflict. There's going to come a, a time when, when it's just not going to go well and there's going to have to be the battle. There's going to have to be the standing. There's going to have to be the time when the clashes come. And in your life, in my life, there's going to be those battles. There's going to be those clashes as we face the enemy. You see, Israel was marked. And what I mean by that is Syria was watching and trying to, to defeat them and trying to take them down. Israel was marked. Hey, listen, we have saved, as the saved, we've been marked by the enemy to fight against us. We're marked. I'm not talking about the mark of the beast. We won't even be here when the mark of the beast comes. Hey, listen, I'm not talking about that type of mark. I'm talking about that, that Satan has his, his sights on you and, and he wants to defeat you. He wants to bring you down. He wants to, to get you discouraged. He wants to get you out of church. He wants to get you away from God. He wants you to get your mind and eyes on everything else except for living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18, He says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 talks about the battle that we're in. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know what, uh, let, let me before I go on and read the rest of it. You know what a lot of us think that our battle is? We think that our, we're fighting uh, the flesh and blood. We think that we're fighting people. We think that we're fighting uh, the political leaders. We think that we're, vi we're fighting uh, this group or that group. Can I tell you something? It goes a lot farther than that. That's just some emissaries. That's just some people that's there that's being used. And, and our battle is not against flesh and blood, but our battle is against, uh, look here, in, in, in Ephesians 6, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Every battle that you fight, if you was to track it back, 
Oh yeah, it might be somebody that comes up and, and gives you a good thrashing and gives you a good cussing and, 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 and spits in your face or whatever. But I'm going to tell you something, it goes a lot farther than that. It goes a lot deeper than that because it's a spiritual battle. Everything that we face, you know, oh, well, but preacher, oh, we, never did get, we never did like one. We was in school together. We didn't like one another when we was in school. Doesn't matter. It's a spiritual battle. Folks, we've got to realize what we're in today. Until we realize the battle, the true battle that we're in, we'll never be able to fight it like we're supposed to fight it. And Satan will get the upper hand, making you think that you're fighting and wrestling against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. The spiritual battle that we're in, it may be a political, we look at it as a political battle, a moral battle, a the struggles within, thoughts, anger, jealousy, lust, whatever it is. But these are spiritual battles that we face. And they manifest themselves in our, in our lives. They manifest themselves in the nation as nation rises against nation. You know why? We, we look at, we look at the, the different nations of, of, that, that's at odds. One you look at, at Iran and Iran hates Israel. Why does Iran hate Israel? It's a spiritual battle. Why would, why, would, uh, why would Russia want to be all power and, and take over and everything? It's a spiritual battle because if you go into the, into the Bible, you find that, that Russia will come out even against Israel because it is a spiritual battle. Why don't these countries just stay where they're at and just enjoy the nation they got and the country they got? Because it's a spiritual battle. Why doesn't America keep its nose out of everything? Because it's part of the spiritual battle. It's always been that way. Satan behind the scenes are stirring things up. Did you ever, somebody come up to you and begin to chew you out or get, get after you about something and you say, what? Where did you hear that? At? Well, so-and-so told me that you said or you did. And you're like, I didn't, but somebody else stirred them up. You know what? Satan's over stirring things up because we're in a spiritual battle. You say, well, why would Satan try to get nations against America? Because he realizes that if he can cause America to fall into many of the, the communistic and, and socialistic uh, uh, theologies and uh, the ways that they live, that he can... Uh, bring laws and against this book and against us holding services in this building. He doesn't care about the economy. He doesn't care about all this other stuff. All he cares about is stopping the Word of God from going out. It's a spiritual battle that we're in. Sadly to say, most Christians don't even see it as it really is. They have a completely different perspective of things. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4 it says, In whom the God of this world, that's Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You say, well, preacher, that's about the loss. Yes, but it's also, he is blinding the minds many times of Christians also. Keeping us from seeing what it's really coming from. Really seeing what it's all about. You see, Elisha's servant here had great fear because of his perspective. How he was looking at things. Look with me there in verse 14. It says, therefore... Sent he their horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, 
And a host come past the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, and look what he says, Alas, my master, how shall we do? You know what he's saying? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Look out there. Look how many of them there is. I mean, there's just two of us. There's just there's a few people. They've got the whole place surrounded. What are we going to do? He was afraid. Why? Well, preacher, he's seen all those soldiers, not just five or ten or fifteen that come after those two, but they had this, the whole city of Dothan surrounded. Nobody could come in. Nobody could go out. And they were going to get done what they wanted to do. They were there with all their power, with all their might that they thought that they had to take Elisha back to the king of Syria. And they was going to do whatever it took. The servants, uh, uh, Elisha's servant was fearful because of what he saw with his human eyes. Have you ever been there? Sure you have. You see something with your eyes and it scares you or it worries you or, you, or it brings a fear into your life or it brings a, 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 some type of, of harsh feeling in your soul because of what you've seen with your eyes. That's what this man was going through. You see, he was looking at things from a human perspective, a natural way of looking at things. You know, that you got to be... You've got to be kind to the man. That's what he was looking at. He's looking at it from a human perspective, an earthly perspective. And he was acting upon the way things appeared to be. Do you know what? We do that every day, don't we? We look at things from a human perspective. We look at things from an earthly perspective of how it's affecting earth, how it's affecting our neighborhood, how it's affecting our home, how it's affecting our lives. We're looking at ourselves. We're looking at, 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 the, at the human side of it that they're, oh, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. How's it going to get taken care of? We look at the appearance of it and it affects our heart. It affects our lives. We look at the appearance of it and say, oh, my goodness, this is going to get bad. You ever looked up at the clouds when the old dark clouds are rolling in? And you look at the appearance of it and say, this is not good. This don't look good. The appearance of things. That's part of our human nature. That's part of us. I'm not saying that we shouldn't look at things from that way. But we've got to understand that how we look at things many times. Our perspective is, comes from our, our human nature. The way we look at things from this earthly perspective. But could I tell you that there's another perspective? The other perspective is there's always a heavenly perspective. There's always an eternal perspective. And you need to see it from the master's perspective. And how he sees it. Many times we don't understand what's going on. But he does. We see things from our eyes. But we're not looking at things through his eyes. And so we miss so much of what he's trying to do and what he wants to do and, and how he's actually moving. And we miss a great many things. Verse 16 says, And he, answer, he answered, Fear not. Elisha looks at the service and says, Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Can you just imagine? I, I'm just thinking about this uh, servant. He looks out. He sees all this host of, of Syria. Got the whole place surrounded. They're, standing, uh, they're sitting on horses. They're in chariots. Uh, they got men there with spears and with swords and shields and, and on the armor and everything. And he's looking around. And, and uh, Elisha looks out and says, 
It's okay. Don't be afraid. He said, there's more of us than there is of them. And I can imagine that servant goes. He might look at Elisha and say, where'd you go to school and learn how to count? He said, I think you're missing something here, Elisha. The whole problem was how he was looking at things, his perspective. You see, many times you and I feel outnumbered. We maybe feel outnumbered by sickness, outnumbered by fear of something else, outnumbered by those who want to do something that they shouldn't be doing and you're trying to do what's right, outnumbered by the way the world's going, outnumbered by the way you think that the politics should turn out or the way you think that this should turn out or the way that should turn out and you feel outnumbered. And from God's perspective, he says, fear not. He said, there's more of us than there is them. We find that many times we are looking at things from the wrong perspective. Elisha had a different look at it. Elisha had a different perspective. He saw what the Lord was doing. He saw the hand of the Lord in the situation, though it looked hopeless and though it looked helpless. We could have went on and, and read the rest of that and how that God did some great things and, and even striking that whole army, that whole Syrian army, the whole army blind. We may come back and, and I may come back and deal with this in the next few weeks in and, and, and the same chapter as we look at this for the perspective of God. But we find here that, that Elisha is looking from a different perspective. You know, many things in our world right now look hopeless. There's a lot of things that look helpless. There's, but it's because we're looking from a human perspective. We're looking not through the eyes of the Spirit of God or not through the truths of God's Word or, or through the power of God. We look at what's happening in our nation. We look at what's happening around the world. We look at what's happening in our schools. We look at what's happening in, in all the, wherever it is. And it just seems like there's all kinds of major problems and, and things that we, we worry about this and worry about. Did you ever stop and, and say, you know what? God's, God's able to handle this. He's got this. And we're looking at it from our perspective instead of God's perspective. We're looking at it from man's viewpoint instead of what the Bible says is going to happen in these last days. We're looking at it from, from the leadership of our fears instead of the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within us. We're looking at it from perspective of, of we're defeated. We're looking at it from a perspective that we're discouraged. We're looking at it from a perspective of it's helpless. We're looking at it from a perspective of it's hopeless. We're looking at all these things instead of getting in the book and looking at it through God's Word and looking at it through the eyes of God and looking at it through the Spirit of God and allowing God to say there's more of us than there is of them and I'm the great and mighty God and I'm all power and all might and I can handle this. We look at things in our lives. 
It might be sickness. It might be financial problems. It might be marital problems. It might be, it might be uh, problems that work. It might, and on goes the list. But do you realize that in your own personal life, that God has a perspective? And many times what we're doing, we're looking at it through our own eyes and through our own perspective. And maybe God's trying to do something and we're not seeing it. My friend, it sure changes the picture when you look at it through God's eyes. And you begin to look at it through His perspective. You see, God's got a plan for your life. I don't care who you are, God's got a plan for your life. He has a perspective. He has to do some things in your life and my life. And I, I look back now over the years, and it's a lot easier to look back. That You know, hindsight, they say, is twenty twenty, And you can look back and you can see, well, I see why God did that. I see what God did there. I see what God... But, you know, at the very time when you're going through that, it's like, what's going on? What's happening here? Because you're looking at it through a human perspective. Instead of what the Bible is, is, is teaching us and, and what the Bible has to say and, and what God has to say and what the Holy Spirit is trying to lead us in and, and direct our lives. And we look at it from the wrong perspective. You see, God's getting to a point where we get in the Scripture. The Lord's getting ready to come back and there's a lot of things that's going to take place and He's setting things up to catch us out of here. And we've got to look at things through the perspective of God. Elisha's servant needed his eyes opened to see the things from God's perspective. Look at verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And notice what it says. And he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. There's, on the internet, there's a lot of videos that's, that's circulated over the past couple of years where people who have been colorblind, otherwise they see everything in, in grays and blacks and whites, shades of gray and shades of black and white. They can't see color. I, I've known a few people who are colorblind. I remember a man <laughs> that uh, years ago when we was down in Piedmont that uh, he raised strawberries. And uh, he would bring us strawberries and everything and and one day, we was talking, and, and his wife said, oh, yeah, he's colorblind. And I'm thinking, well, how's he picking them strawberries? How can he pick strawberries? How can you know if that strawberry is red? And he said, well, there's, you learn the shades of them in grays and, and stuff like that. He said, you just kind of learn it that way. And everything was, that's the way it was. And, but you've seen a lot of these, these different videos now where they have developed some glasses and they put the, those glasses on them and they begin to see things with color. And it's amazing to watch people's faces when they put those glasses on for the first time and they begin to see the green in the trees and they begin to see the, the, the colors of, of the sky and see the colors of, of all kinds of things that they've never, the flowers and the grass and other things that they've never seen before and they just light up and it's a different perspective. It's a different world for them. I wish today there was some type of glasses that we could come over and and, and, and just slide them on somebody and say, 
And you could all of a sudden you could see the perspective of God. You know, I look out across this auditorium right now. I know who you are because I've known you, been around you. And I, if I work my eyes a little bit, I can clear you up a little bit. Some of you I really don't want to. <laughs> but there's a different perspective when I... You're probably getting sick with little bills, ain't you? <laughs> there's a different perspective. I look at you like this and I see, I see you. I can recognize you. There's a little bit of fuzz, a little bit fuzzy and everything. But when I put these on, it's a whole different picture. You know what? When we begin to look through the eyes of God, and when we begin to look at things through the Word of God, we begin to see a whole new perspective. Things begin to lose their fuzz. Things begin to sharpen up. Things begin to get where we recognize a little bit why things are happening. I'm not saying we'll understand everything, but we begin to understand it a little bit more. That whole mountainside was, was covered with, with chariots of fire and the servants of God. Consider God's perspective of salvation this morning. Stop and think about it. You're a sinner. You don't have any hope. God looks down and He sees you and, and in His perspective, you're lost. You have no hope. You're on your way to a devil's hell. Your perspective is this. I'm a pretty good person. I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I, don't, I go to work. I, I try to help people. I'm a pretty good person. But from God's perspective, the Bible says there, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that doeth good. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's God's perspective. That's how he looks at, at, at the lost person. They're without hope. They're without help. And they can't make it on their own. And so his perspective is, I must do something for them. I love them and I want to help them. I don't want to see them drop off into a devil's hell. I don't want to see them go to a place that I prepared for the devil and his angels. I want them to be with me in heaven. That's his perspective this morning. He looks at you. He loves you. He cares for you. Sometimes you're sitting there, God must not care for me. God must not love me. God must not like me. No, my friend, he loves you. He cares for you. That's his perspective. Perspective and you're missing it this morning if you, don't, if you don't realize it that he cares for you that's his perspective and some people's perspective is I've done too much I've talked to people and said there's no way I could be saved there's no way that God would forgive me I've been so wicked I've been so vile how could God forgive me God, in his perspective, said, I will in no wise cast anyone out. They that come to me, I will in no wise cast them out. And he says, my son's blood can save the wickedest, vilest sinner. There's no sin too big. There's no, no wickedness too great. That my blood, the son of my blood can't cover and cleanse and save their soul. 
The perspective of God and the perspective of man is so much, there's so much difference there. You need to look at God's perspective. He loves you beyond your sins. Far too many are living out their lives and looking through the eyes of Hollywood. Oh, this is a great life. No, the Bible says that it's sin. You see Hollywood and a lot of people are living the way Hollywood lives and and their perspective is the Hollywood perspective. It may be the sports perspective where where the the, the mega sports players where they're making millions of dollars and they're going to tell you how you ought to live. Like I said about LeBron James and I don't care how well you like LeBron James. He's not going to tell me how to live. He's a basketball player. And I'm sorry, you can train a seal to make a basket. A lot of people take the sports hero's perspective of life. The music, the music people, those who sing, and and all these, these, uh, what they call reality stars, and oh, their life, and everybody's trying to pattern their life, and, and oh, look at them, and oh, look what they're doing. They're miserable. They're wicked. They can't keep a marriage together. And you're going to follow their perspective? And too many is looking through the perspective of the worldly political leftists, the biased news outlets telling us how things are. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Christians, we need our eyes open to see from God's perspective, from the eternal, that eternal perspective, from a heavenly perspective. Can I tell you this morning, I've got a Bible that gives me a perspective. I've got the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within me that gives me a perspective. I've got the things of God that gives me a perspective. We need to see God's plan even in the tragedies and the difficulties and the hard times and the battles that we face, even within ourselves and on a daily basis. Well, preacher, I'm going through this and I'm struggling with this. Did you ever stop and think that maybe from a heavenly perspective, God's trying to get you to grow, that God's trying to get you back to Him, that God's trying to get you to know Him in a greater way, that God's trying to do something in your life? If you get your eyes off of yourself and your problem and get your eyes on God and look through His perspective, you might say, hey, Lord, I see what you're doing in my life. Thank you, God, for doing that. Thank you. Oh, how we need that heavenly perspective. A perspective from God, a perspective that that only He can give us. Like Elisha, we have a job to do in this spiritual battle that's raging around us. Look in verse 9. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. So what are we supposed to do? From God's perspective... We got a job to do. From our perspective, you know what our perspective is? Well, I'm going to make me some money. I'm going to raise my kids up. I'm going to get me a travel home. And I'm going on the road. I'll drop in on the kids around Christmas. Then I'm heading back to warm weather. And I'm just going to enjoy life. I'm not against people doing that. 
But what about God's perspective of life? God's perspective of life is not about how much money that you can amass. God's perspective of life is not the vacations that you take. God's perspective of life is not just all gathering together just to have a big party. And there's nothing wrong with gathering together. But God's perspective of life is this. After you've received Jesus Christ, your Savior, is to live for Him. To serve Him. To do like Elisha did. To warn others to keep them out of hell. Here's what's sad. In a lot of homes today, even Christians, their perspective of life is keeping their kids from seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. My friend, I want you to know something. Elisha was warning the king of Syria, even though the king, or not king of Syria, but the king of Israel, even though the king of Israel was not really that good of a fella, God had a plan. To preserve Israel. God has a plan to reach the lost. And he wants you and me to be telling others. The, the reason the Lord left us here. His perspective is, is that, hey listen, time is short. We're living in a, in a very short period. Oh preacher, I'm young uh, and I've got plenty of time. Uh, I'm not like you preacher. I, I'm young and I'm healthy. Boy, I've I got plenty of time. Not necessarily so. In God's perspective, do you know what he says? He said, life is like a vapor. It appeared for a little time and vanisheth away. That's his perspective of life. He says, get a hold of this. You're not always going to be here. You may be young, but you're not always going to be here. And life is going to go just like that. Oh, it was just, I just thought it was a few weeks ago, man, I was playing basketball on a high school team. Now, 61. It's just a few years ago that I was holding our firstborn Heather. She was squalling. And now, if I get a chance, I hold some of my grandkids. I've got nine of them. Some of them's getting old enough. They're, they're driving. They're going to be graduating. Boy, life just goes like that. In our perspective of time, boy, I've got plenty of time. In God's perspective of life, it's like a vapor. Therefore, he says, listen, I've given you opportunity to tell others about me, to win souls, to keep people out from going to a devil's hell. We've got to move on. God's perspective of life for you and me. He wants us to understand. He wants us to see. He wants our eyes open. We're to live uh, our lives by faith before people that they might see even as we see the hand of the Lord in this battle. We're to pray and to, to live and to, to work and uh, to get others out to, to see Jesus Christ and to see uh, uh, what He has for them through their eyes that they might be opened. You know, from the Lord's perspective... Could I ask you this morning, how's your eyes, eyesight? What do you see? Do you, all you see is this world? Do all you see is just your bank account? Do all you see is just your health? Do all you see is what you own and possess? There's so much more from God's perspective. What do you see? How are you trusting in the battle? We find here that 
the servant of Elisha, he was worried because he was thinking about, I've got to fight. I can't fight them. But Elisha's perspective as he looked through the eyes of God was, God's got this. There's more of them than there is. There's more with us than there is against us. Could I ask you, are you grumbling and complaining or do you see the hand of God? Let me say that again. I think that'd be a good one to repeat. Are you grumbling and complaining or do you see the hand of God? Well, preacher, I, I, I don't think you can see the hand of God in my situation. Oh, yes, you can. You just got the wrong perspective. Are you fearful or are you faithful? Are you depressed or are you digging in? Do you see the gloom or do you see the glory of God? Are you whining or are you winning in this battle? What makes a difference, preacher? Your perspective. Whether you're looking through God's eyes, His Word, His power, His strength, or whether you're looking through your own. In closing, we need to behold this morning. Look there what he said in verse 17. And he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. It's time for Christians to behold our mighty God in the battle. It's time for us to wake up and realize who we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold the Lord in your ups and downs this week. Behold the Lord as His power and might is in your weaknesses. Behold His deity in your distresses and your difficulties. Behold His presence even in your fears when you feel so unable. Behold the, His Word. Behold His Spirit. Behold His faithfulness. Behold His power. Behold his, the mighty God. Hey, listen, the Bible tells us in Psalms 34, 7, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Him and delivereth them. Oh, I never thought about that. It's because you're looking at it from a human standpoint. Do you realize that, and probably not, that this place is full of angels? And I'm not talking about you. <laughs> How do you know, preacher? I just read it. His angels encampeth round about them that fear him. Round about me, I can't feel them. Oh, they're there. I can't see them, preacher. Neither could Elisha's servant until he looked through the perspective of God. And God opened his eyes. But God just told us there. Well, but that's a verse. That's right. From God. And from his perspective, he said, listen, I want you to know. Doesn't matter what happens this week, I want you to know, he said, if you fear me and follow me, I'm going to put a, angels all around you. Why, preacher? Because he loves you and he's protecting you. Well, why do I go through all this? He's still there. And you need to look through the perspective of God's eyes and not your own. Begin to look through his perspective. Begin to understand that God's trying to do something. The Lord is coming back. He's preparing. You can go in the scripture if you begin. It's not, this is not just a, a fictional, this is not a fictional book. This is not just a, a somebody sitting down and writing something. But this is telling us what he has done and what he's going to do and what he's doing right now.
And he's telling us that he's getting ready to come back and there's things that's going to take place. But my friend, he said he'd be with us continually. Oh, that the Lord would open our eyes this morning that we might behold his perspective, that we might behold his glory, and that we might behold the God of all glory, his perspective. This week, instead of looking at it through your human and earthly perspective, begin to look at it through God's perspective. Look at it through the word of God. Look at it through the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. When the troubles come, say, God, let me see what you want me to see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you, Lord. I pray that you be with us now. Help us to draw near unto you. Father, I pray that we would have the right perspective, that we would begin to see things as you see them, as you show them to us. Have your will and way, Lord, I pray. In the invitation, Lord, for someone here who doesn't know Christ their Savior, Lord, may they see themselves through your eyes. And, Lord, may they see their need of salvation. And we'll thank you. We'll praise you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?